Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you for joining us once again. I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors, Wasatch Recovery, Siegfried and Jensen, Veracity Networks, and I Hill Institute. You guys are amazing for believing in me and helping us get this message out to so many people. We're trending on iTunes and also uh, Google Play, which is awesome. And it's because of amazing guests that I've had on at the end, you know, to be totally honest, we've had some really uh, amazing people and today's going to be no different. And we're doing a little different format today. Um, I've invited Christian Smith and his wife, Kelly, who are, and who uh, Christian's been on the show before. And we've also invited his daughter, Sarah Archuleta. So guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And so Christian, um, a few weeks ago, shared his story uh, of overcoming addiction and what he went through a few weeks ago on the show. And then we had this idea of we'd love to bring on um, his wife and his daughter to kind of get their perspective of, you know, the other side of addiction and, and how they, what they had to go through and during watching what you went through, Christian. Yeah. And so, um, but I'd like to start off with maybe a question. We're going to start with Sarah. Just, you know, as you view your dad now, you know, um, I work with him here at Wasatch Recovery. He's one of our marketing directors. Uh, he's an amazing guy. He's done, he's doing a lot of good in, in his life now. And uh, I think the world of him. I really do. I know you guys do too. But I also know there's a lot of raw feelings around of what you guys had to go through. And so I'm excited for our listeners to hear this side of it. So as you look at your dad now, Sarah, what, what do you see now? Um, well, looking at you now with your little smirk on your face, um, he's my best friend. Uh, wasn't always that way, of course, but he's my best friend. He's my golf partner. (laughs) Uh, we probably FaceTime or talk at least once a day. Um, I don't know. You've, yeah, it's definitely been a roller coaster ride, but I definitely wouldn't change it for anything because he's my hero. I'm a substance use disorder counselor Um, And he's the reason why I went into the field is because I wanted to kind of bring to light to the community what we have and that it's possible, that there's hope to have a relationship, even the hell that he put us through, it's possible. Wow. Yeah, I love that. Okay, Kelly, um, how about you? What, uh, what do you, when you look at your husband now, what do you see? Um. You know, going through our journey, um, people always ask me why I stuck around. And most of that was because this person that I fell in love with, um, I was hoping I could eventually um, get that person back. And I can say now that I do have that person. And we are able to have a relation, a family relationship that we can have our grandchildren and our children um around and have him in our lives yeah (laughs) prior to that he um had had he continued down the road he was on he would not be um he would not be here with us or interact with our kids or grandkids yeah so wow well and again uh 
we've kind of jumped way ahead here, but now we're going to get into kind of, you know, the hard part uh-huh. here. So what I'd like, Christian, is just share briefly, you know, for our listeners who maybe haven't heard your previous story, just kind of what you went through, how long were you, you know, in your addiction, and kind of just give us some background on that, if that's okay. Okay. I'm 61 years old, born and raised in Utah, uh, born in a, in a really religious family, uh, lots of siblings. There are seven of us, and um, I'm in the middle. Uh, life was pretty simple. We were socioeconomically middle class when growing up. We didn't have a lot, but didn't go without very much either. Um, didn't experience any substance abuse growing up other than a, a sample of clear alcohol once and smoked the butt end of a cigarette is probably around 13. Um, one of the things that's important that we'll talk about that makes us hear Kelly and Sarah talk about is that growing up in our family communication-wise, we were very, very passive, uh, passive-aggressive at times through sarcasm, mm-hmm. which we still are, but it works now, but with my own immediate family growing up. And Kelly grew up in a family that was very assertive in their communication. And as you listen to the previous show, I, I call that nature of assertiveness in communication, I call it yelling. And uh, <laughs> so I go on a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, come home, and I'm really wanting to um, experience intimacy, so I get married real quick. Kelly and I marry. I was engaged seven days after I got home. Kelly and I marry, and that's when things started to go a little weird in my life because Kelly's form of communication was very assertive. It was in your face. And I can take assertive communication if I'm playing sport because then it's okay for me to lash back uh, or or do something that makes me feel better. But when Kelly would come at me, it hurt. I'm in a motorcycle accident three years after we were married and uh, where I was introduced to opiates, Percodan. Mm. And that just created a an avenue for me not to feel the pain and the stress of this harsh communication, which was appropriate growing up. I've said this before, growing up, assertive communication was much healthier than this passive, passive aggressive style of communication. You just weren't used to it. Yeah, it was just very foreign. I I remember feeling like when Kelly would come at me, because I do stupid stuff, I'll I'll be the... That's an understatement. (laughs) Sarah's going to tell us the truth today. Yeah, I'm so glad she's on. There's no hold barred on this this podcast today. Uh, But when Kelly would come at me, it just... It just scared me. I wanted to just to crawl under table. And so substance, substances were introduced, and they worked for me for a time. And that would progressively get worse. Alcohol was introduced not too many years after opiates because a good day for me was opiates combined with alcohol. And uh, over the next, depending on who you ask, Kelly has, I say about 25 years. I think Kelly says a different number. But uh, that would progressively get worse. Um from alcohol, from opiates to alcohol to gamble to inappropriate relationships, sexually outside of the marriage, um, and ultimately to uh, cocaine to crack, and uh, during those many many years, I violated almost every value I ever had, and uh, the only one I don't I didn't violate was I never took anybody's life, but other than that, I think I violated every value I ever had during that time. We have. We raised four children. Uh, Sarah represents the four kids. 
<clears throat> they would be here if their schedules would permit and yeah. we had enough microphones. Yeah. <laughs> so Sarah is representing her two older brothers, Adam and Chad, and her little sister, Abby. And um, so that's kind of where we are. That gives you an up. Is that good? Yeah, sure. Yeah, again, I just wanted our listeners to know that. Uh, how long were you in that again? Uh, Kelly, how long was I in that, according to you? 25 years or more. It was a very long time. Yeah. And it was one of those things where you're going through life and you know something isn't exactly right. Mm -hmm. But if you decide you're going to accept that something isn't right, then you got to do something about it. And addiction was very new to me. I had never been exposed in any way, shape, or form. No one around me. Mm -hmm. No alcohol, not even smoking, nothing. And so I didn't know what to do. All I knew is I had four little kids looking at me and wondering, what had happened to dad and where he was and why our life was absolutely falling apart. So again, um, I don't know that I can quantify a specific number Mm -hmm. because I um, put up my walls and pretended everything was okay. And it wasn't, was very not okay. And I hear that a lot. It's pretty common to pretend nothing's wrong because it's your way to even like protect yourself from the feelings. You know, raising four kids, I mean, that's hard when you have a a strong, healthy partner with you. But when you're doing it, when someone's struggling, I mean, how is that? I mean, did you give us the feelings and the emotions you were going through as you have these four kids you're trying to to keep online and do the right thing and all that stuff? Um, It was definitely very challenging. Um, I learned that when Chris um, would... um, take things from the kids or um he would he would disappoint them he would not show up when he was supposed to be somewhere well he of course in addiction you can't they're not dependable um you he would say things but he would never come through so a lot of the crux of us um finally getting to the point where something had to be done and he was told to leave our home we didn't live together for quite a while when he started hurting my kids was when it was time to say I'm done and that we needed a time out and that we needed to figure out life because I wasn't going to let him hurt my kids. And so that's kind of the part that mm. kind of sent us to the look around and, and we've got to do something because it was affecting their lives. And um, I often joke that I have five children <laughs> and... Um, um, cause in some regards, sure. <laughs> there are things that, um, that just come along with the addiction that you do feel like you have another yeah. child and always trying to stay one step ahead of them or trying to figure out what's coming at you next because you just, you just never know, yeah. um, what, what the next corner is going to kind of bring to you. Um, it was the kids, it was. You know, just trying to keep life some sense of norm normalcy in our life and mm-hmm. try and keep a schedule running. And there were points that he didn't hold a job. So I was trying to work and support us and um, just keep everything um, to pretend that we were OK. And again, pretend that we were OK because we weren't yeah. OK. Right. But we were trying to keep it together and live life the only way we knew how. And um, she did a really good job at that. It was very, it wasn't known that, well, at least for Abby, my younger sister and I, mm-hmm. it wasn't known that there was honestly a problem. Adam and Chad, I think, caught on pretty quickly. 
But for the longest time, Abby and I thought it was, this was our norm. Yeah. That this isn't, isn't that word normalcy code? Looking back, not, not at the time. We didn't know. We did the best we could. You did the best you could. I was, I was doing fine. You did the best you could at the time. But when you use the word normalcy, isn't that now looking back code for enabling? Or we kn- sure. you knew yeah. it was just a crap show, yeah. Yeah. but we will pretend all is well. And so we'll put this huge elephant that's right smack dab in the middle of our house. And we'll, we'll put a blanket over that and pretend yeah. it's not there. And to that point, there were a lot of times when, you know, I finally stopped trying to figure out how to do things to include him. Mm-hmm. In fact, if he would be laying on the couch or withdrawing, whatever that scenario was, was almost a relief that I don't have to take him somewhere and then take yeah. care of him wherever we went because he did dumb things at yeah. places and you're oftentimes embarrassed and yeah. so when he was like well I just want to stay here and whatever okay that's really good so again our lives got really out of balance and we did things without him and then all of a sudden he's sober he thinks he wants to come home and pretend like he's the head of this household. And yeah. I'm like, not on your life because you've <laughs> right. done nothing for yeah. so long. So again, you, you know, my perspective was if he gets sober, everything will be better. Yeah. It just created different, different challenges Yeah. because we had learned to do our life so, so badly. So, yeah. um, codependently. So yeah. whatever you want to say it is. We we just did it around this person that wasn't functioning in our lives. Yeah, she she brings up something that I think we taught in the recovery community. We may not touch on enough, and that is that is what what happens when you find sobriety and recovery. How, how does that how does that affect the dynamic? Because I did have this. We all had these expectations. She had hers that she just sure. told you. Just get him sober, and life will be good. I'm thinking. I'll get sober and then I'll come back. Then I want to come back and take on the role that I think is the role of. Uh, 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 yeah, I'm the head of this house. house and yeah. Watch me do and, this. And she's going, the hell you say? That ain't ever going to happen. You know, and, it's interesting. I'll say this a lot in, in, in with our clients that I always tell our clients, your family will never trust you again. And they look at me and go, what? And I go, they will never trust you again. Doesn't mean they don't love you. And what's interesting is because they don't trust you, you then end up resenting them. And then I'll say, but who trained them not to trust you? And they're like, well, I did. Yeah. See, and that's kind of what was going on. Yeah. You didn't, even though he got sober, you didn't trust him. So therefore, he had no footing to come in and try to act as though everything's fine because you didn't have that. And it took so long. I, I'm not saying that. I mean, right now, I, I completely trust him. But it took so long to get to the point that he would actually be to where he said he would or that he would go pay something that he said he would and not do something else with the money or that. I mean, there are so many times when, you know, um, some notice appears in the mail and you're like, oh, I thought we took care of that. And you go and like, what what happened, Chris? Well, hey, ding dong. Reality is, you know exactly what (laughs) happened. He did something else with the money like whatever and and this was and in recovery early recovery right yeah, it, it and was that hard. that looking back now that brings up another point yeah recovery is about pain management and so here i am sober trying to find recovery i get a bill and it 
it's painful, right? It brings up all this stuff. And, and the expectation that I would just turn this switch and be impeccably honest immediately, that might be an over uh, unrealistic expectation in the recovering process. Yeah, I, I don't know why it, I said that. It, it took a lot of patience and give and take and, and progress. It, it wasn't perfection you hear all the time. Yeah. You know, it's progress, not perfection. And it truly is as they as an addict starts to come back into life and figure out. And we had mountains and mountains of issues that we had to solve, um, you know, as because our, our life was when you say you don't have any money in the bank. And for a lot of people, that's just, you know, may not have what I want to buy right now. There were days where literally for us, there was no money in the bank. Because he'd withdrawn everything. And um, so there were some really challenging times. I'm grateful for my parents Mm -hmm. who, despite my mess, and they didn't approve of my mess, they didn't approve of me staying in my mess. But I always knew I would have food. I would have a roof over my head. And my kids would be taken care of because my parents and my family rallied around and did what I needed to yeah. survive. I can't so. imagine how scary that would be. No money in the bank, four kids. Like you said, all those things you got to do to take care of. And then you've got the fifth kid who is out just running amok, right? I mean, and you said earlier, you all, you know, people would always ask you, why did you stick it out? I mean, did you have times where you're like, I'm done? Like, or did you fight through those feelings or how did you deal Um, with that? I absolutely had time when I was done. I had divorce papers drawn up. I was Mm -hmm. ready to get them signed. At the time, Chris was in jail. The attorney's like, it's kind of really hard to serve divorce papers. And, you know, as you start looking at custody of kids and I'm, you know, dividing up holidays and stuff like that. And I was frustrated because, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't send him my kids to him for Christmas, that would be like, blah. Because, yeah. you know, I don't know that he ever bought a present for the kids for Christmas. Not sure um, I have still. Still, yeah, <laughs> absolutely still. Yeah. Um, I hope I have either. So, so you know, it, it's just kind of those role things. But I thought at that point, I'm going to have to give up my control and he would have them half the time and I can't mm-hmm. do that to my kids. And, um the divorce papers are even still around somewhere in a file cabinet, I'm sure. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, it did come to make some decisions. Again, but as I thought about it, and um, I, we are religious, prayed about it. It was yeah. just, it's not that I wasn't going to divorce him. It's just that right now I wasn't going to divorce him. Yeah. And, you know, you get that little glimmer of that person is coming back. And yeah. like I said... I'm a very, very red personality. Chris is a very fun-loving, um, really balances out my life. Mm-hmm. And um, I need that in my life. So, sure. I, again, I wanted that person back. Yeah. And as you could see, just a little glimmer of he was coming back. That I'm like, maybe, maybe we can make this work. That's not to say we didn't go sometimes 10, step for, 10 steps forward, three steps backwards, and would repeat that. Yeah. Um, but we tried. Um Holiday season is hard, and he even mentioned it's hard for him. I was reflecting back on a couple Christmases. One that I run to the jail to pick him up because he's out on a pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I run up there, get him, bring him home for the day. 
but I also have to get him back. And it's just, you know, because he only has X amount of hours and yeah. we're on this tight time frame. But I wanted to bring him home so the kids could see him. And, and even now that brings up a lot of anxiety for me. I remember also visiting one night in a, um, a horrible apartment he had rented. Mm. Um, it was terrible. Um, but again, he couldn't live at home because he couldn't function in our family dynamic. Yeah. And um, so there, the holiday season is a little bit challenging because of the things we experienced through some Christmases yeah. when he was out running running and gunning so um i'm grateful that we have a different holiday experience now right. i'm grateful we're able to spend time with our children and grandchildren in a happy positive um yeah. he engages he spends time with us um and so it, it's a very different experience right now yeah that's, that's so. i'm glad it's that way now i mean this is how I've always known Christian, <laughs> is this guy here, you yeah. know. Um, and his story is, I mean, he's lucky to be alive, um, to be honest. You know, I hear a lot from families where when they lose the loved one who's been an addict, they almost feel guilty that they feel relieved because they don't have to deal with the lies, the yeah. mis you know, the, the, the promises that are never kept, that kind of thing. And so, I mean really are you're lucky to be alive yeah. and you talked about that in your you know when we when we did our your story yeah. earlier but you I, know, I hear that a lot as well absolutely and um i you know i think the kids and i often looked for closure um i would get a call almost every day from um our older son who, who towards the end what he married and he wasn't living at home and He'd go to the police come last night and i'm like no why would the police come and he goes just to tell us they found dad dead somewhere so we can be done with this wow. and that wasn't and just adam that felt that way that was all of us the, the kids were just ready for closure they were tired of you know wondering if he was gonna appear around the next corner or yeah. any of those kind of things mm. so it truly was um i tell people all the time the 18 months he was in jail was the best 18 months of my life because I, I, didn't, I didn't have to tend him anymore. Yeah, Someone yeah. else was responsible. He knew where if he was. I he yeah. I I didn't have to worry um, if it was. And he would call. I don't know what it is with addicts that, you know, it was back in the day where you could see caller ID or calling on a house phone. <laughs> and, you know, he would call and I wouldn't pick up. And he'd call and call and call and call. And call. Like, I'm going to pick up all of a sudden. Hold on. I, I do remember on my perspective on those phone calls, like it was kind of weird. I'm sober. I'm in jail sober, but I still have a sense of entitlement and hey, that's my family and I love them. Yeah. And now I'm sober, but I'm going, I remember going, why isn't she picking up? Maybe she left the phone somewhere. So let me right, redial again, again yeah. about eight <laughs> times in a row and then still having resentment. Why didn't you pick up, man? <laughs> Meanwhile, she's on the other end. We, that's the whole point of this and podcast, Kelly. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. the other end for me was it had been a bad day. I got all this crap in the mail of more bills I've got to deal with, more issues that I didn't know were out there. And I just couldn't deal yeah. with him, too. Yeah. Just couldn't do it. It just yeah. I didn't have the capacity to talk. So it, it was a time when we all got a time out and it was fabulous. Yeah. I'm not saying that to be mean. It just no, was. I you're being we honest. needed the break. Yeah. Yep. So. And I think anyone listening to this who has had a loved one, they would agree with that. They'd go, no, I get it. We had a break. We knew where they were. Didn't have to worry about them so much. So, no, thank you for sharing that. Um, Sarah, so as you're watching your mom 
struggle through this and you as a kid growing up. Let's talk about how your perspective of this whole thing. Put a timeline on it. Uh, yeah. Kelly just described the time I was in jail was from 2007 to 2006 to 2008. How old are you at this time, Sarah? I'm not good at math. <laughs> 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 well, let's just say that I was born into your addiction. So the yeah. first time I saw you sober was when I was 16. And then Abby's younger than me, so... I mean, it affected a vast majority of our adolescence and our upbringing. Okay, say that again. You were 16? I was 16 the first time I saw wow. him sober. I mean, that's a lot of years. Yeah. It's a lot of years of thinking like, oh, it's normal for my dad's eyes to be rolling into the back of his head and he's cooking and has all the windows open and it's the dead of winter. Like, your dad doesn't do that? That's weird. Right. <laughs> but no, I was the oddball in all of it. Yeah. Wow. But, I mean, like... As we kind of, or as we go back a little bit further into like the experience of it, I, again, I'm three of four and mm -hmm. I, probably looking at all four of us as a whole, probably Adam, the oldest, and I were probably more or less vocal about the hurt that was yeah. caused between him and all of us. However, not to say that that did not cause any harm to the other two. Right. They just are more like mom and more on the sensitive side. And not so much of the vocals like I am and Adam are. That's, that's true. That, that, uh, we let Chad you know. and Abby, they internalized it mm -hmm. and stuffed it. Yeah. Uh, which to me, like, I don't know why you're so mad, Chad. When it all right. came out, when the stuffing, when yeah. there was no more room to stuff. And he said, I'm out of here. As a 17-year-old, if I remember right, yep. Kelly, he goes, I'm out of here. And went to live at Grandma's house. I can't right. stand you. And then I find recovery and I'm going... Chad, I've been like sober for like 60 days. Why aren't you back in yeah. my life, man? Yeah, why aren't things good? What's so wrong? True. Yeah. And and he, I thought it was a year and a half. He tells Kelly and I the story. Four it was years. four years was. before he felt safe enough to re-engage in this relationship. Four years. Oh, wow. yeah. And so, I mean, looking back at things, it definitely, looking between Abby and I, I guess you, I, you can say I felt the most inconvenienced by you because... Your logic with the kids was, I'm not hurting them. I'm simply inconveniencing them. Right. So when I was in mid or elementary school, I would get checked out from, you know, being called down to the attendance office. Right. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, like it's someone <laughs> we're going to go do something fun. Yeah. Well, uh, no, it was dad calling to check me out to go fake a broken arm to go to the Instacare. And he picked me, I'm only guessing because I was always in a cast about 80% of my <laughs> of my education because I'm fragile, but... Oh, you must be from Italy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah a little Christmas story reference yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he would check me out of school. We would go to the Instacare, and I remember exactly what Instacare is. It's the bottom of, of 90th there by the Dollar Theater, and... He would play the card just right for him to get the narcotics. But again, the biggest thing was we don't tell mom. That was wow. what made this more of like what I felt was a bonding experience and kind of portrayed him as my best friend. And that continued for her, you know, once or twice, maybe at most five or six times. And that, what a spot happen. to put you in, though. Right. Don't tell mom. Don't tell mom. But again, it was the kicker of, oh, this is us bonding. This is wow. us feeling connected with one wow. another. It's our secret. Yeah. It's what makes our relationship different than my mom and mine. Mm. And then fast forward to, you know, what is a young girl that wants to, to make some extra money to go to the mall with? It's babysitting. So I would go and babysit my cousins <laughs> or babysit the neighborhood kids. 
and I would get a call from him. And again, it would be calling the landline of the home because there weren't really cell phones were really just coming out was a thing. But it would be him calling to be like, hey, are you, you, you doing okay? Cool. I'm not feeling so good. Can you go to the medicine cabinet and read me off the labels on the bottles? And I'm probably like, I don't know, nine, somewhere around there. And, you know, someone trying to pronounce some of those medications, you did yeah. the best you could, yeah. <laughs> you know. But it was if it was worth it to him, he would literally be there within minutes. And he would just say, bring me out two or three of them. Um, and so I do. I would. Again, I didn't know any better. I thought we were bonding. And yeah. I thought it was something that, again, was the norm. I didn't know any different because sure. that's what I was raised and born into. Yeah. Wow. And so that continued for some time again to the essence of, again, we didn't tell mom. It was our secret. We didn't do any of that, you know, whatever. Um, and then I remember like another big moment for me was when you dropped me off at school, at middle school. And that was the last time I saw you, you went on your bender and took Chad's debit card and you dwindled his account to zero as we all sat there and watched it when you went to Wendover and gambled away. Hmm. And I don't know how long you were gone. I know it was quite some time at least it felt like it was yeah it wasn't it wasn't uh it was three days yeah which felt Left like an Friday. eternity yeah because but, when you go on your benders your phone's off you don't talk to anyone you you literally disappear and when the, we knew he was on benders when mom was taking us out of the house she would take us to grandma's house or we would go stay the night of our aunts and uncles mm-hmm. um i mean we weren't home when these were going on because i I want to say you were afraid of when he would come home and what would happen. And I remember one day for us, you did come home and your stuff was in the garage in a trash bag. And you just said to mom, I'm just going to get my thing, a couple things and go. And then you were gone. And for me, this is like, this is where it gets a little odd. And mm-hmm. I didn't really put this together until like, honestly, probably within the last year. But I wasn't mad at my dad. I was mad at my mom. Because she was kicking my best friend out. Yeah. We, you had the bond. Even yes. though it was an unhealthy bond. Yeah. But you're looking at it that way. I was yeah. mad at her. I yeah. was upset that she was doing all this. And I felt the wrath of the pain that she was taking away my best friend. Again, I thought this was all normal. That, you know, yeah. da- everyone's dad did this. Whatever. Yeah. No. So I was very angry with her. Yeah. Um, because she was taking my best friend away from me. Yeah. Isn't that crazy how that... That's to me speaks to the manipulation abilities found in, in the disease of alcoholism and addiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's this insane manipulation. You should never have been mad at your mom. You, you should have gone, Dad. What in the heck are you doing? You right. Know? Yeah, and I want to just. She's nine years old, and you're asking her to go grab pills for you. Is there a part of you, Christian, where you're going? I know that this is so wrong. This is so back. I mean, this is the evils of addiction. I mean, this is the, at its worst. You're asking a nine-year-old daughter who, again, she's doing it because she thinks she's bonding. But you, how did you, I mean, did you know this is messed up? I, I, I No, the answer is no. And as she's sharing this, and she shared it before, um, and it stings. I mean, here I am 12 years into being recovered, and uh, and that just stings because at the time I, I didn't have any of those remorseful. I didn't have that gut thing that said, what you're doing, Christian, is wrong. Mm. I think okay. I was so far past, you that, were past uh, that that I, I was just in this place of I'm not going to feel any more pain. And here might be an easy way. Because most of the time back in that day, 
there was way too many opiates out on the yeah. in the medicine chest They're everywhere of, of people yeah. and again yeah. i think it comes back to you didn't think you were hurting you were inconveniencing us yeah. Yeah. because same thing like when you would give us an allowance you know, we would go to the mall with our friends, pull out my wallet, and there's no money. Instead, it's a piece of paper that says IOU. <laughs> those are good. Those, those are, were good. For, yeah, I was good sure. for them. I want to hold on to that one. Yeah. <laughs> right? And trust me, we still do. We have them. We do still do. Really? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my. It was, and it didn't just happen once or twice. It was pretty consistent for a while that we had more papers that had <laughs> IOUs on there than actual money in our wallet. So we're, we chuckle. Those of you who are listening, we're chuckling a little bit. Um, only because we have fa- found figured out the formula for humor, and it is crisis plus time. We have not always chuckled about this. That no. was horrific. Yeah. And, uh, and and it it's not a it's a black day and black part yeah, of our sure. lives. But uh, yeah. so don't be offended when we when we chuckle <laughs> a little bit some of these silly things we've worked. Yeah, it's been some time. time. Yeah, you know. But again, thanks for sharing. Yeah, what, you, what you're trying to keep going. I'm. I mean, it was just again this whole idea of what normal was for us was this idea for myself, and I want to say more. For my sister, I don't want to speak on her behalf, but I can only imagine her being younger than me. That yeah. same thing. Yeah. Adam and Chad, again, being older, I definitely know Chad. Like they said, he moved out when he was 17 to live with my grandparents. Um, we He would make an effort to come and visit. The only time we were to really come and go see him was when we would go to my grandparents' house. Mm-hmm. And then Adam served, um, like they said, we're, we're religious. So he served an LDS mission in Korea. For two years and uh he was gone for a little bit towards the end there when things started to get a little crazy yeah. um and then he did come back i would say right in the whole he- like hell of it i think he came back just in time mm. to to kind of be there for what was going to be the near end of it but i grew up going to see my dad in the jail salt lake county jail and davis county jail it's sad to say that i actually have a favorite jail to visit <laughs> Um, which is, is Davis crazy. County. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Did yes. you say that? That's like yeah. crazy. Salt Lake County, the guards just weren't nice. But I mean, there were times <laughs> where mom couldn't take us and Chad, there was no way he was ever going to do it. So Adam would try and they wouldn't let him through because he wasn't our guardian. Okay. But we would make the drive up to Davis County and he would try and do that for my sister and I, because again, we're still in this place of we're not entirely sure what's going on. We know that dad's in jail for, you know, fraud and forgery and the usual of things but nonetheless we Man. we didn't know any better and our and our siblings our aunts were trying to make it as best as we could for my sister and i again adam and chad they've they're at their wits end with it and they're on her side abby and i are just like what do we do yeah. but definitely grew up seeing you in the jail for 18 months so i remember the first time we ever went and saw you it was a surprise mom surprised us with it and it was a surprise. It was a good surprise. But, I mean, we weren't used to that atmosphere of things. That's not how, how we were How old were, were you raised. when you went? Um, I was probably 10 or 11. I was in middle school. Okay. When Because you got out. So, what is that, fifth grade? Well, maybe you. You may, you may have been a little. I was older. thinking you were closer to 13 or 14. I was in ninth grade when you got out of jail. Because I remember you, mom picked you up. Or tenth, eighth grade, one of the two, because mom picked you up and brought you to the school, and Abby was still in elementary school. So there was that gap between mm. us. 
because you came and got me and then we went and picked up Abby from elementary school and I remember like that was a huge day like seeing him like they let him come into my classroom and get him and it was just like this big reunion of things and my dad just fresh out of jail (laughs) everyone give him a high five but see that's the other thing I don't think we I didn't let people really in on what was going in yeah right I mean when people at church would be like oh where's your dad today uh he's on a business trip uh he's he's not feeling well he's at home we didn't i didn't want people to do that because i already was getting you know the opportunities where it's like we're not going to let my friends come to my house and play with me i had to go to their house yeah because they knew something was off with him yeah but looking back this is your show todd so i don't want to mess it up you're good but this elephant that, that that we all kept covered yeah what would we do differently? Would we do anything differently or is it just the way it played out? I I mean, I think then, I don't, well, this is like my education side yeah, playing into right. things. It's yeah. just, it wasn't the societal thing. It wasn't, a, I mean, we're talking 11 years ago where yeah. addiction and alcoholism is like the scarlet red letter on your chest. Yeah. And even though I wasn't the one that was suffering from it, I definitely was feeling the impact, but you don't want people to know that. Because you were the oddball out. You were the weird or the odd one in the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But I mean... It wasn't enough um, uh, education or it it just, it really was not talked about. It very much was this hidden. And now with so much push in the community Mm -hmm. and... Um, just everything around to really educate and get the word out and let people know to not suffer and to figure out what's causing the pain that you have to medicate that. Yeah. When, when we were there, it, it was not, it, it really was, um, we were looked at differently. We didn't definitely, I mean, I remember church atmosphere was very different for us in that way of things, because a lot of the times I would sit there standing next to my mom and you know, someone would come up and say, why, why are you still there? And her response always was, until you walk a mile in my shoes, you don't know what we're going exactly. through. Exactly. It, that really yeah. did come home to me in that it, you really can't judge anyone. You have no idea what it's like until yeah. you've been there. And um, everyone handles things differently. Um, you know, there have been a lot of women who have approached me and they're like, I just can't do it anymore. And that's okay. Um, there's, there's no, nothing that says you have to stay or you have to go. And my only advice is don't let someone tell you what you have to do. Make, make your own decisions because you have to live with them. Sure. You can't say, oh, but Sally Sue down the road told me to leave and years later regret that decision. So, um, figure out deep down inside what you can live with doing. Yeah. And, and it's okay. Yeah. Everyone has a different path and it's okay. Yeah. Whatever you need to do for you yeah. is okay. Yeah. When I think you said it so beautifully before, you you knew Christian who he really was and he's he's being someone he's not. Mm-hmm. So there was that hope going he, I it's there. He I know it's there. Plus you have four kids. Plus you're trying to do things on your own. I mean, and then people are like, "Yeah, just leave the guy, mm-hmm. you know." Like you said, walk in your shoes. Yeah, and that was always her understand. response. Yeah. Always, until you walked a mile in my shoes, sure. you don't know what we're going through. Yeah. And it was, I mean, I'd mean, I, I'd like to give those the benefit of the doubt that it was more coming from a place of like empathy and sympathy. Right. It just, it wasn't that way in those moments of things. Yeah. 
But like as we continued through it all, I mean, again, I didn't really put out there to the world. And I remember the like first year I think you hit, you know, your 365 days of sobriety and it was social media was a thing. And I put it on social media that, oh, my dad is one year sober uh-huh. and kind of started the the stage for what my life was growing up. And I had never had so many people reach out and be like, I had no idea this was what you were going through. And it's like, yeah, we we didn't really talk about it. It's not yeah. something we showed off. There's like that. We have a saying in, on your wall in your guys' house that um, from the outside, we're a nice, normal family. But the inside, we're a bunch of nutcases or didn't something. Didn't you purchase that little <laughs> plaque and give because it to it's us? True. It's true. Yeah. But as things, you know, again, progressed to the point where he did get out of jail. He was doing great for quite some time. And then it was the bender of all benders again. And for me, it was that's when it's shifted to now yeah. I'm angry at you because you let me down yeah. after what was supposed to be the last time. Mm. And then I became more on the side of what's going on and supporting my mom. Yeah. And for me, that's when you broke into the house. And that- I wasn't even there. It was the phone. I called mom and I could hear the panic and I could hear her scared as to what's going on. And I ran down. And said, so dad's in my house, dad's in my house. And I remember, you know, aunt and uncle getting on the other phone, calling the police to get them there because they knew more of what was going on. All I know is that my mom was scared that you were there. And that was kind of like the big shift for me. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, I, again, I don't know the extent of what happened that night other than you had to have been on something. There's no question I was under mood and mind altering substances. <laughs> I mean, right? you broke a yeah. window. Mom was running out of the house. By the way, just a heads up for everybody there. If you break the window to the house of which you have ownership in, that is against the law. <laughs> that is called malicious mischief. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah. Go ahead. No, oh, well, I was going to say, because I know when you finally had that moment where you're like, I'm done when that guy said, I love you. You, you had taken some money that you were supposed to, if I remember right, you were supposed to do something with that or something? Uh, that was Chad. That was the, one, the experience you're talking about happened to, uh, uh, happened to be related to Sarah and a vehicle that she she had. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. I Tell just wanted that. to bring that up. Tell yeah. us that. Yeah. Too. So that the, at this, this point, is the last. Yeah, this was this the last. Like, we didn't know events. it, but this is it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you are kicked out. And it was, I think we were going into summertime because I remember we were on the lake and with Adam and everyone and you got a call that dad's gone, whatever. And we didn't really talk about it. Next thing we know, um, you're checked into a treatment center and mom checked or the weight. So again, so I have two older brothers, right? But mom was working full time as much as she could because he's not in the picture right now. This is to the point where we're saying where, you know, has the police come and told us our dad was dead just so we could be put at ease. Did I ever really wish that? No. But again, it was we were scared because now we just had this huge event just happen. I didn't know what was going on. So instead, it was the opposite. Mom called us and after school, we picked up an after school job just so that we could not be home more Mm -hmm. long in that essence of things. And she picked us up and we started driving towards Little Collin Canyon. And I'm thinking, oh, we're going to the mall, but the mall's that way. Like, the mall's the other way. And we get up there, and there's this driveway strip, and it has a gate, and on the sign, and on the gate is a sign of a treatment center. And 
I turned to my mom. I was like, I'm not going in there. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. I knew exactly what was going on. Yeah. Abby's crying in the back seat, and we pull into the parking. My mom's like, I need you to go in there. I need you to come with me. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to see him. And I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't the intent that we were going to have a family process that night. I think it was mom just wanting us to see our dad. Yeah. Um, however, we go in there and I just, I remember as if it like happened yesterday, we walk in there, we go down the stairs, clients were on one side of the room and family members were on the other side of the room with the process in the middle. We sat on the very back row, mom, myself and Abby with my head down. Cause I really just didn't want to be yeah. there. I'm so angry at this whole thing. Yeah. And the process finishes up and the therapist goes, Christian, are those your daughters back there? Let's get your daughters up there. Mm. And <laughs> I, I look, I don't know. You say it's like a trampoline. You shot out of there like a cannonball coming out of a cannon. <laughs> you were ready for war. I looked to my mom and I just like stood right up and I went up there and I sat knee to knee with him, my hands in his. Yeah. And that was the first time that my mom heard about all of this bonding Oh, wow. of the yeah. stealing the medications for him that again that didn't come to light until that exact moment wow how, how did that hit you hearing this for the first time it, you know it's just again another layer of yeah. the deceit and the dishonesty and um you know just just one more thing yeah. at some point you get you're so beaten down that it's like just keep piling it on yeah just keep piling it on. It's almost like I'm not surprised to yeah. hear this at this point. At this yeah. point, it's like, what else? What else is out there? Yeah. And it was like. Sir, speak about that. Uh, my my memory was there would be one more relapse. Yeah, there is. That was but that, uh, that little process was a game changer for me. And I don't know if it was for you. It, it uh, My memory of that was the counselor said, Sarah, tell your dad how it felt. Yes, that's exactly what he said. And as we kind of went into that, it was there was no pause. It just was like word vomit, everything that was there. And I remember he didn't uh, he let me just talk and then I stopped. And then before he could even let dad speak, he asked the clients, you know, what did you what what's coming up for you? Name one emotion. And a lot of their remarks were, again, deceit. They also had this idea of fun, loving Christian who can never do anything wrong. I mean, like the mentality growing (laughs) up, even though dad was higher than a kite, was mom said no, but dad always said yes. So when I was able to put out there everything, and again, he's putting on this really good picture of I'm not the bad guy here. They all are. My family is the enemies here. And I put it all out there. Before he can even speak, those were some of the words that were coming from the clients. Mm. And then he was able to kind of offer up and I did feel very genuine apologeticness from you. Like I really felt like that was you really understanding that it wasn't inconvenience at that point. It was full hurt. Yeah. That's Mm. exactly what happened. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I can remember was that was the moment when I realized, Oh my gosh, I was more than inconveniencing them. I hurt them. Yeah. And yeah. And that stings to this moment, you know, That was the biggest, I think, thing for me to actually begin moving forward with that. Abby was there, too. She sat in the back and just cried. She didn't have she wasn't ready at that point, I don't think more so. But again, after that family night, I we never missed one after that. In fact, it was something we looked forward to. We were excited to go see our dad and begin that. Yeah. He completes the residential stay, comes home. um, And again, we, we. 
we broke the rules while you were in treatment. When you would go to church, you missed my first high school dance. So I did put on my dress and I knew what church he went to because he just so happened to be in the ward of a family member. And so I knew Mm. the time of the church and I did put on my, you know, high school homecoming dress and I went to church and so he could see it. And so there were those things that he did miss out on a lot of those big events um, that, you know, as a high school kid and girl, those were things that I wanted my parents to be a part of. So he gets out and he comes home and... This is kind of where I think mom needs to share with the with everyone the the five boundaries, four boundaries that she left for you to come home. What were those four boundaries, Kelly? On a napkin. Get a job. Um oh, a driver's license cuz your driver's license had been suspended. Mm-hmm. Um no use, no drugs. And um, go to church. <laughs> yeah, that was it. And you wrote you wrote them on a napkin. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> he said, "Dude, if you're coming home, yep. this is what you got to do." It. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that napkin got laminated, didn't and, it? Um, <laughs> yeah. We and, still have and, it, and it didn't. Again, it didn't last very long because he um, got under some stress, mm-hmm. and. Um, as he talks about it, it's the monkeys in his brain held a. A little conference about where he should go, (laughs) Mm -hmm. where he was supposed to go, or down to Pioneer Park. Mm. And and he went to Pioneer Park and then was gone for the longest he'd ever been gone. Mm, And you know, uh, again, the um, addiction, the recovery community, it's very tight. And I had people that would reach out and go, do you have any pictures? And we'll go walk around downtown Salt Lake. Everyone was worried about him. Mm And um, because he really had just dropped off the face of the earth. We really did not expect him to come home. Mm -mm. Um, Mm, But he he did resurface after about 10 days. But again, my appreciation to those that loved him enough to look for him and watch out for him. So that was probably the biggest thing is because, again, growing up, we were set up to have all this like faith that you were stopping, that you were doing the right thing. And then again, it's you know same story next chapter same story hundredth verse just another relapse and so i remember that day because you were supposed to get your license reinstated mom you know re wrote you a check and then it was cash by the way oh cash and you went down to the court to get the license the dmv they said you got to go get you know we don't need your money we just need something from the judge and that set you off to the point where you couldn't manage and like they said the committee was talking very loud and the biggest thing was you had my car you took my car not with permission you took it with permission and mm. then you were gone and 10 days that you had my car um i know that they found the car adam and mom found the car and it, a bill of sale was written on the back of a, of a napkin um, for not anything worth it. And what was part frustrating is because I'd worked so hard, you know, in my yeah, after school right. job. Yeah. And the deal growing up was you paid half and mom and dad would meet you with half with whatever vehicle. So it was something that I worked really hard for. And it was, yeah. again, he sold it for drug money. Right. And that was, I think, honestly, one of the biggest things that I was like, I'm not going to trust you as much as I did once before. And that, for me, took a huge step 
back in the process of things, which I was pretty trusting at the beginning. I was like, yeah, that's fine. That's great. Because again, there's the formula for trust, time plus consistency and, you know, 90 days. That's a pretty big amount of time for you. And you were showing up, but you showed up in treatment. You didn't show up outside of treatment. Yeah. And then that's when I just was very much on edge about what was going to go for through. And then you did go back for 30 days. And since then, it's been it's been different, to say the least. Uh, there, all are different. There are uh, times please. now when um, I can see a stress rising. Yeah. And a little part of me um, goes back to those places. And I have a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Of understandable. Can he manage? Yeah. Is it going to be okay? Is he going to go back down that road? And and we're twelve years. Yeah. I mean, we're we're a while into it. It doesn't mean that it doesn't go away. And right. and I can see the look on his face. I can just see the um, change in his demeanor as stress starts coming into his life. Yeah. And again, I'm this red personality. I want to fix it. I want to control <laughs> yeah. it. And I'm like, well, what can we do? What can we do? Can we do this? Can we do that? Can we do this? Again, um, it's hard for me to let go of that. Even yeah. now, sure. it's hard for me to not worry about him. Um, yeah. Well, it's not just you. It's it's us too. Like we know your red flags. Like yeah. we know when the phone's you know. off. We know when the phone was off, you were on a bender. Now when the phone's off, it's because you're golfing. But then again, I know who you're golfing with, so I just call them. You know, like yeah. there's certain things that to this day, it's just more of that PTSD coming back up from Absolutely. what happened. Yeah. It, it's interesting. To, um, Todd started this program by saying he, you have told clients um, that you'll never get trust back from your family. And and I'm, while you're saying that, I'm going, I've already had my family tell me I've gotten impeccable. Kelly even said it <laughs> after that, 100%. But as we visit right now, you just demonstrated that the yeah. the disease robs it it is starting impossible to get a hundred percent of trust because of PTSD because of past experience. Yeah. Well, yeah, I so I haven't had a drink in thirty two years, and when I go to my brother in law's house for a p- family party thing, my wife worries I'm going to have a drink. Mm-hmm. It's been thirty two years, and I look at her, and I used to get really upset, like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah. But guess who trained her not to trust me? Right. Around that stuff, me. Yeah. And so when I take accountability for that. And I go, I get why you worry about it. Then there's no fight. So, yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. That anxiety is real. And it's just um, not not that I I don't know. It's kind of this double-edged sword because I don't know that I really think he'll do it. But it's always in the back of my mind. And he hasn't demonstrated. But stress is a big thing for him. And he he doesn't deal well. And um, he wears it on his sleeve. He too. does. And and our older son Adam is both of our our sons actually and Chad are really good to help him work through a lot of things. Yeah. Like you know they'll um, start talking to him and kind of figure out that it isn't really what he's making it out to be and can kind of help alleviate yeah. that when I just go into fix it mode. So the boys are really really good to just yeah. go, Dad kind of look at this you know yeah. in in a different way yeah. um and then you know if this happens well what you know yeah what's really going to be the the worst it can be or or those kind of things yeah, the, the family we've treatment is recovery has helped the entire family because sure. i have now this 
what used to be the major source of my stress was the dynamics within the family now has become the major source of my support but but we don't do it blind anymore right. i go to this place of catastrophizing mm-hmm. you know, oh my mm-hmm. gosh i owe that guy 80 bucks the world's going to end you know and the yeah. team of the the my tribe which consists mostly of my family can uh, it's really not, uh, you know, it's not a total catastrophe, Dad. You're actually yeah. going to be okay, and yeah. this is just life, and now I'm, we're learning to live life on life's terms. Yeah. Adulting is what I yeah. think you've yeah. called it before. It's not, it's not all or nothing. Yeah. You're going to yeah. be okay. <laughs> just take a deep breath, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, if you look at what you went through, I mean, raising four kids, having no money in the bank, you know, it chokes me up to even think about it. You survived all of that, and and you too, Sarah, going through what you did, and all your kids. I mean, wow. I mean, I'm blown away by it, honestly, to hear what you guys have gone through, and and that here you are. You guys are sitting here together. What a beautiful conversation we're having here, a very raw and real conversation, but man. I think our family saying is we don't wish the disease of addiction upon anyone. However, for our family, it's been like the greatest blessing because it not only brought like our dad back into our lives, but it brought like our whole family closer together. For sure. Yeah. My, I love um, that, Sarah. My kids definitely um, will, um, they rallied around me. They supported me. They loved me. We figured that we were in this battle just together. So we yeah. became very, very close. Yeah. Um. All of my kids will tell you that their dad's their biggest hero. They never talk to anyone or have conversations about addiction that they don't say, they don't write his number down, say, hey, call my dad. He will help you. Yeah. Um, so there's no one that they admire more than yeah. their dad. Um, and he truly is um, the bright spot in our lives. Yeah. It's not to say it hasn't been extremely hard. Um, but it has been, um, a wonderful blessing and our family is so very close because of those things that we've gone through and experienced. And, um, it really has been an interesting journey and we wouldn't trade it. Um, Christian does force us to be more open, um, about yeah. the challenges in our life than we may be <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> on our own. For um, sure, typically, yeah. we don't necessarily talk about it unless he drags us along <laughs> to have a conversation. You're speaking about things like this, and and uh, so, but Kelly, we don't we don't we don't live it. in shame anymore. No, yeah, we don't, we don't live it. in this place of shame. We just also don't you know vocally go and say, oh hey, our dad's yeah. a recovering addict. What do you not want to know about it? Yeah. But we you know if the opportunity presents itself, we we are not afraid to share our experience or to try and help someone. Yeah, a couple of thoughts that I that were ringing in my head when you just said what you said, Kelly, is life happens for us. I really do believe mm-hmm. that. As hard as it is at times. You know, looking back, like you said, you wouldn't change it, you know, because look how strong and close, like you were saying, Sarah, oh, yeah. how beautifully close you guys are because of it. And the other thing that comes to my mind is this statement, the greater the darkness, the greater the light. Mm-hmm. And you guys went down that dark abyss uh, together and you're coming out of it together as well, you know, around this and the light that's starting to shine. I mean, when you talk about, hey, you know, here's my dad's number talking, he'll help yeah. you. I mean, that's how I know Christian, this guy, I mean, 
He'll help anyone. He'll drop anything at any time to go help anyone anywhere. And that's that's what I know of him. And and, and it's authentic and it's real. Oh, yeah. I don't know any of this other stuff, but uh, but to see how passionate he is about helping other people, it's really beautiful to watch. It is. It's definitely like for all of us to see that too because, I mean, there's been where, you know, when back in the day when you owned the treatment center, I remember was at New Year's Eve, Every single one of us, we were at the treatment center having dinner with the clients. I mean, you went in to talk about trust. <laughs> you <laughs> you took everything, you know, you took a lot of those things and robbed us of those things. However, you went into business with two sons, which was a huge financial investment to things. And yet, you know, that paid off for you. You yeah. have nine grandchildren who I don't think any of us would not trust you with them. You know, and that's a big that's a big deal wow. I, and yeah. and i think as we wrap this up a little bit i i think uh with way more emotion than i've had in a long time the gifts of recovery and the hope that we we try to offer this podcast and the listeners is that it it can be pretty crappy i mean inexplicably crappy and yet here i am sitting with my wife of 40 years and uh my daughter, who's a little nuts, and I absolutely love her, and she is my best friend, as are all of her siblings. There's not days go by. One of my favorite things is uh, probably five out of seven days of the week, I get a FaceTime early in the morning from Sarah and Brixton, uh, grandson Brixton. Yeah. The gifts of this recovery, yeah. if, if, we, if we implement the stuff that people like Todd give us and we really do the work, the gifts are sitting in front of me now and yeah. and the grandchildren and the children. Life's not perfect. Kelly's still a red personality. And you guys look at red personality. It's all about control freaks. But she's not easy and I'm not easy. And yet we have a commitment and we go forward and we deal with struggles knowing that it's yeah. going to be okay. Yeah. I, I just I hope everybody's listening. The pain that we've gone through, it it's so much better now. And all of my kids would be here. All of our kids yeah. would be here yeah. if they could be For sure. to, to echo the same thing. Yeah, beautifully said. Well, I, I have a, another question for each one of you, if that's mm -hmm. okay. I'll start yeah. with you, Sarah. Sure. Um, if there's someone listening to your your voice right now who's struggling, mm -hmm. maybe they're a, another kid whose dad or mom is off the rails right. going through this, What what's something you could tell them that might help them in this moment? I know that's a big question. That is a very big question because, you know, as a kid, you feel like you can't do anything. That it just, this happened to you and you're just stuck on the roller right. coaster ride of it. Um, so my biggest thing is there's a lot more support now out there than there was when I was going through this. Mm -hmm. And support could be like your teachers, your, you know, your, um, you know, even your parents, your friends' parents. But the biggest thing is to know that you're not alone. Like, know yeah. that you're not the only one that is struggling with having a parent that suffers by addiction or mental health. And know that it, it doesn't have to line that future up for you. I mean, he, yes, he experienced addiction. However, the, how the four of us kind of turned out <laughs> not going down that same road is pretty, it's honestly kind of a miracle that none of us kind of, for uh, lack of better words, say that. followed absolutely. your footsteps. Yeah. Yeah. But know that that doesn't have to be set up to be your future. Mm. That you do have a power in making that difference if you're willing to be vulnerable and share with someone that I'm hurting and mm. this is why. Wow. 
beautifully said. I thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That was awesome. Mom, what would you tell someone who's listening to this who's maybe married to a a man who's going through the same thing that Christian put you through? What what could you tell them right now? Um, I think, as I said earlier, to, to just not let anyone make decisions or choices for you. Okay. You're going to have to live with whatever your choices are. Mm-hmm. And you know in your heart um, what you want and what, what you personally can do. Um, it is a wild um, journey, um, but it's a good journey. And, and as Sarah mentioned, just take advantages of the resources that are available now. Right. There is so there are so many things that can help. A lot of family support, a lot of places that you can find others who are going through the same thing you are, and um, and they can offer different suggestions. It really I I have found that people who have not um, had an addict in their life um, struggle to understand what it's like. And so if someone is experiencing that comparing notes and, and things that have worked for them and trying them to work for you, and it definitely is different to have a spouse, um, as an addict compared to a child as an addict, um, in, in those relationships. So, um, it, it is, you know, again, as Chris mentioned, it, it, our um, hope is that um, anyone who's listening will find hope and hang in there and um, try to um, enjoy whatever you can of the experience that you're going through. Yeah, thank you. Again, beautifully said. Thank you. Chris, I'm going to ask you, what would you tell someone right now who is struggling with addiction wrestling with it they're putting their own family through stuff you know what would you tell them because there was a few things along your path that kind of woke you up so to speak what would you say to them right now i just read uh, for the first time i've been in your office before and i just read something that sticks out to me um i alone can do it but i can't do it alone I have the power within me to change, but I cannot do it by myself. And as I look at my wife and daughter who represents all of our children, with their help, I we did it. We overcame. We did it. And uh, I just, those that are out there struggling, you can't do this alone, nor should you. It's about connection and find the connections in your life, whether that's a spouse, whether that's a child, a friend, whatever it is. There are connections out there, and and the addiction lives in isolation. It lives in the dark, in silence, mm-hmm. and the recovery part of that does not. It needs light. It needs connection. It yeah. needs verbalization and find those people in your life and get brutally honest, painfully honest. Uh, Kelly holding boundaries of, hey, I'm not doing this anymore. You got to go. Those were instrumental. Those boundaries were were huge in, in helping me be forced to look at a solution uh, that, that's better than the one I was currently using. So I love what you do, Todd. We love what you do. 
We love recovery and we love change. And we know it's hard, but we know by our own experience it can be done. Yeah. We wow. believe in second, second chances. I like it. Yeah. We all need a lot of them, don't yeah. we? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that was beautifully said, Chris. And uh, all of you, thank you so much for taking some time to share your story. It's so great to hear from both of you, um, to hear your side of things. And I think so many people are going to benefit from this. And I can't thank you enough. It really, I mean, I've been emotional through this whole thing. I think the world of your dad, I, I know you've, a lot of your extended family as well. I love them as well. And uh, I can add you two to that <laughs> list now that I, I, I care about you guys. And I'm so grateful that you guys have made it through this. And I'm glad that you're in the industry now and yep. helping other people on your end of things. And boy, what a perspective you get to share. Yeah. You know? I love it. I mean, ever since like we that moment with that therapist that therapist is more or less the reason why i want to be in this world with him because that that therapist led the way for the honesty to begin to be there and to get vulnerable with the whole process and it's you know you said we were we're, we got through this i think we're still getting through this it's gonna be a lifelong yeah progress but it's a total ride worth being on yeah Great perspective. That's your daughter speaking yeah. right there. You stole her car and made her do all these things and look <laughs> no. at her now. Yeah. It's amazing. No, and it just proves that we can go through tough things and we can make it through it. Yes. You're right. We can't do it alone. I know faith is a big part of your guys' foundation, and I'm, I, pr- I appreciate you guys brought that up along the way. And if you don't have a higher power, you know, it could just be love. Mm-hmm. I mean, connecting love. Yeah. If you're, you're listening to this, you don't have a higher power. Why can't it be that? Absolutely. Right? So I love you guys. Guys, thank Thank you for your time. This has been beautiful. Um, Anyone out there who's struggling that needs treatment or needs help, um, Christian, what's your number that they could reach out and maybe get help from Wasatch or we can refer them to someone else if we need to? Uh, 801-870-1379. I love what we do at Wasatch. I believe in it, but... There are places that maybe would be better suited for somebody. I, I just want people to find yeah. hope and healing, and I'll do whatever we have to do to get that done. Yeah, love it. Well, reach out to Christian if you know of someone who's struggling. We would reach out to them. We'll do whatever we can to help them. I'm thankful for this opportunity. I want to thank our sponsors. Thank you for making this all possible, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. You guys are amazing. I can't believe where we're at and how many people are actually listening to this. It just blows my mind. But again, it's because of these vulnerable, beautiful, authentic stories. And uh, so thanks once again, guys. Thank you. You're welcome. There you go, folks. Until next time, love you guys.